0: Welcome back to another episode of the Sim Racing Den podcast and I'm your host Mike. Today, I've got a really exciting episode lined up for you. We're diving into real world racing as I had a chance to sit down with professional racing driver Daniel Morad. Now, Daniel Morad isn't just your average race car driver, he's a force to be reckoned with on both the real and virtual track. With a remarkable professional racing career, Daniel's journey is one of sheer determination and skill. But that's not all, Daniel's passion for racing extends beyond the physical realm. He's also a very dedicated sim racer, harnessing the power of sim racing to refine his techniques and strategies. He also at the same time gives back to the community by sharing his knowledge through entertaining his dedicated fans on Twitch and more recently YouTube with insightful guides that will help you in your own sim racing journey. We delved into sim racing as a training tool and how Daniel uses it to sharpen his on-track skills. Daniel shares also his insights on the hardware and the software that he uses day to day and what he wants to see in the future from sim racing. And between racing on and off the track, let's not forget about the Miradness phenomenon. Daniel and his wife Jess have also ventured into fashion and branding with their own clothing and accessory line, Miradness, we'll uncover the story behind the brand, its inspiration and how it's starting to build a community around racing and sim racing enthusiasts worldwide. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Daniel as much as I did. Daniel, welcome to the Sim Racing Den podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. You're the first professional race car driver on the podcast and a Canadian to boot, and we're both from Toronto and Markham, so I feel like it's meant to be. I feel like it was meant to be. So I know you have a really busy schedule, so thank you for being here. No, my
1: pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Yeah. So... You know, talking about schedule, you have got a lot of things going on, my friend. You've got professional racing career in two different series, uh, running your own business as well with your partner Muradnis, and then I'm sure you've got personal obligations, family relationship, and then you're streaming on Twitch, and then you decided, let me add a YouTube channel on top of that, uh, on top of that pile of things. Like so, and then probably training for racing, and I imagine you know all that goes along with that. Which um, you know, I'm hoping to get into uh on this on this podcast. But how do you manage your time? Like how do you is it like is it just simply a matter of good organization or are you just winging it? <laughs> I wing it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna sugarcoat it.
1: There's no, so the much I'm very creative and there are a lot of projects on the table, but yeah. I just love doing everything that we're doing right now. And yeah, um there's for me there's more to life than just racing. I have so many other passions and it's nice to actually start connecting all of them together w- whether it's in clothing and like fashion design, working with with Jess with my my wife. Uh mm-hmm. on that is amazing. Yeah, congratulations. Just recently married, right? Yeah. Well, awesome. Long story short, we officially were married last year, so 2022 yes. and like on paper. Yeah. Uh and then we did this, the celebration and like the party just this past year, 2023 in awesome. June.
0: That's congrats. So just That's I had awesome.
1: a, a, an open weekend, which uh, they're hard to come by these days because mm-hmm. literally I, I believe it's since the end of March. I've only been home for a maximum of six days straight.
0: That's wild.
1: So it's just constantly on the go. But I mean, this is what it is. I love it. And this is the busiest yeah. I've been in racing. But yeah, it is tough to manage everything. Uh, you're just winging it and hoping everything lines up. But between racing, coaching, training for the races, working with Jess on Moradness, and I don't even know what else. Like I just I lose track. I do online training. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do everything streaming, YouTube. Um, yeah, just flat out with everything. There's literally no downtime. But it's it's nice.
0: Well, They're I always you giving on. me one of your Saturdays, giving me some of your time. So, and, and I'm hoping this will be. <laughs> I just you know, finished training, so I'm in between you? sessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, uh, you know, your viewers and listeners, mine as well, are, are going to enjoy this and, and get to little know a little bit more about you, um, a little bit stuff outside of racing as well. But I know everyone's obviously interested in in your sim racing experience, and we'll, we'll touch on that. But I want to start a little bit from the beginning. And I ask everyone that comes on this question, because most of us are car nuts, or we probably wouldn't be doing this. Um, you know, what was your earliest memory of cars and racing, whether it be as a kid? You know, what what do you think sparked this this interest? Is there a moment? For, for racing,
1: it was... Uh, I've always been fascinated by planes and cars. I was the kind of kid that I had that... Uh, city playmat. Yeah. and me too. <laughs> uh yeah and i just i would always play with my hot wheels on the on the yeah. rug or play with uh planes like jets my two favorite movies growing up were top gun and days of thunder so that tells you days everything you need to know
0: i watched days of thunder like so many times yeah it's yeah.
1: just those are two of the best movies for me they're they're my, two of my favorites um and i had a path going more towards hockey my mom didn't want me to my well my parents didn't want me to do that because they knew how many hours would go into it early morning practice it's a lot more intensive than racing and it actually is more dangerous really than racing yeah Uh, most it's there's a misconception you think racing is more dangerous but you have so much protection you have a car around you You have all the safety gear and the how you know you're not frequently crashing or at least you're trying not to.
0: Yeah, in hockey goal, it's usually. such
1: a high contact sport you're constantly getting hit so there is more risk of injury but it's just more so the time it was a lot more taxing and my my dad actually went indoor karting with some friends and thought i would like it and he picked up a used cart, and that's what kind of introduced me to racing i ended up driving the go-kart on my street uh which wasn't the best idea but uh <laughs> Yeah. In the end, did it for two weeks up and down the street, loved it. We went to a local track up at Goodwood cartways and from there, the rest is history. Just fell in love.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. So, you know, that kind of takes us to the journey into motorsports. So, I mean, I know, you know, karting's kind of where it, where it started, but can you kind of, what was the process in terms of getting started? What were some of the challenges you guys had to overcome with that? Um, and then sort of how did that lead into to other, you know, getting out of karting into, into a, 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 I guess, a more professional car or whatnot, right? The biggest challenge was always the finances.
1: My, yeah. uh, my family is a middle class family. And as we all know, it takes a lot of money to go racing. So yes. to start out, it was pretty reasonable. It was manageable at the entry level point for go-karting at the time I started it was maybe five to ten thousand dollars a year which is pretty standard for like a hockey budget or yeah. you know any sport
0: more people spend more money on golf I think these days
1: <laughs> absolutely so it mm-hmm. was reasonable back when I started because you weren't putting on new tires every single race we had very hard compound tires you use the same set for the whole season so you get like a 200 set of tires they would last you the whole season. So just really the entry fees and some wear and tear on the carts. So you could do a season for like five grand as long as you own the equipment. And now you can't even do one weekend for five grand. So I would never be able to race go karts now. I would never be able to start. Unfortunately, Um, it's just getting a little out of hand. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know how we ended up in this path. (laughs) My parents had to sacrifice a lot for me. Uh, but the biggest hurdle was really just dealing with the financials Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, understanding that i was pretty good at at racing and how are we going to get to that next step so we needed a lot of support um thankfully i got scooped up when i was young in go-karting and just the way it works so you can understand and everyone can understand if you're doing well it's just the way the system works, if you're doing well, yeah. usually the the good teams will pick you up. You start winning on their product, then they sell the product to other people. So you're constantly cycling your equipment, and it looks good because you're winning. You're at the front with that team, so it's just it's the same way it works in junior levels of motorsport yeah. for car racing, and it's the only way really I could have kept my career going. From carding was successful, got scooped up by you know the good teams would win races on their equipment. They would sell more carts. They would sell my cart. I'd get new ones. They'd sell my cart. I'd get a new one. So it was constantly cycling like that. Then I got a scholarship to go into Formula BMW, which is an entry-level yes. single-seater series. Right. And uh, the first year, I had a lot of support from uh, my some family friends to get us even in to compete. And... After I won the title, uh, the rookie title that year, so in 2006, I ended up getting a uh, scholarship from BMW to join their junior team, and then another race team picked me up. So same kind of scheme as in go-karts. The team picks the best driver. You win the championship with them. They sell more seats to other up-and-coming guys, and then it's just like you constantly cycle that. So thankfully, I got picked up by Red Bull as well that year. Uh, hence the front wing from my Formula BMW race car. Right yes, there in the I background. always see that in the
0: background. Yeah, yeah so cool. it's a
1: front wing and the trophy. So that's kind of like the the Red Bull Shrine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the good times, you know, when I was back uh, junior driver and winning championships.
0: Well, I guess that's such a that's such a memorable sort of milestone for you, I would think too, right? Was, yeah, I guess that was was that you think a point where you're like, okay, this is probably going to be my career now going well, forward. Well, It became but, so real after it became so real in two ways, real
1: like I could do this and real like, man, there are bigger powers in play that you can't overcome. And it was such a conflicting point in my career because I was at the peak of my, well, I'm not gonna say peak because I'm still not at the peak right now.
0: No, no, you got
1: lots more I still feel like I'm always progressing and developing and getting better and better, which is awesome um, because you're always trying to improve. I'm very open to it, to learning new skills and adapting. But I mean, I was at the top of the talent pool at the time, winning championship, breaking. Well, I won the championship in formerly BMW, broke a record mm-hmm. for most wins ever in a single season, and yes. got dropped by Red Bull all at the same time. And it wasn't for performance, it was just for business so yeah it was a tough pill to swallow and that was the harsh reality that sunk in and that was the turning point for my career um where it went down so i kind of had like a roller coaster ride it was all up like just not uphill i guess it was just going up upward trajectory everything lining up get dropped lose my confidence completely performance goes in the bin and all the sponsorship dried out we tried to make it happen with as many different people Latifi supported me Di supported me mm-hmm. I had um some some Lebanese backing uh, yep. from A1GP when I did the World Cup just trying everything we had no money my parents couldn't put me through any yeah. more than entry level karting and and you know the logistics and traveling of the rest of it that was pretty much the limit so it was tough it was tough but um I never gave up, which was the key. I knew what my self-worth was. I knew that I had to dig deep within because all these skills don't just go away. You just need the confidence to be able to unleash the skills. And I found it. It's like
0: practice and training. It's like anything, right? And it's a mental thing, like any sport, right? Um, but it's it's interesting you bring up because I think every sport has its there's a business. When you get to a high level, what whatever sport it is, there's a business side and there's a lot of things that are outside of your control and decisions that are made. And you just have to continue to kind of roll with it and, you know, take care of what you can control, I would think. Does that make sense? I guess. I mean
1: you can't control anything outside that's of true. what's within your reach. And yeah. that's the hardest thing to understand which is probably what creates the most amount of anxiety for everybody in life Mm -hmm. trying to control the things that you can't control yeah once you let that go and you just do the best job you can do and everything generally falls into place i let go of that of all my past and just focused on the best path like i didn't sulk and say why me why did i get dropped i just put that aside at one point and said, okay, this is the reality. You got to make the most of whatever you have right, right in front of you and figure out the path to get back to where you want to go. So yeah, that, that was the hardest part, just putting down the shovel of self abuse and like, why did I, why am I not good enough? Why did I get dropped? Like stop asking yourself those questions and just focus on where you want to go. That was, that was the turning point for how I got back on track. This is very good advice. Not just for racing but for life. Oh, too. it's everything. <laughs> this is very good. I, I so, it doesn't matter. It can be applicable to anything you do. Just yeah. racing is a lot more um fast-paced and <laughs> higher yeah. consequences.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot you can't control on the yeah. track either. It's it's a yeah, it's a kind of like a meta- metaphor, yeah. So, so let me ask you, what, like you've had a lot of memorable moment, moments and achievements. You know, what what is your for you right now your your most memorable so far in in your racing career um i think i i might know what it is but i'm curious to know for you what's the most memorable there's a couple
1: a couple really cool ones and for different reasons yeah well maybe a few i think winning the formula bmw championship was like my first major car racing achievement but what tainted that was the fact that shortly after I got an email from Helmut Marco dropping me from the program. Mm. It, that was my congratulations. So it was such an amazing moment and it's such a great achievement all season, really executing on such a high level. And, you know, then overshadowed with a dead end. Yeah. But the comeback was probably the the biggest achievement because nobody okay. takes four years off of racing and gets back into a race car and then gets to where we are right now which i'm kind of pinching myself all the time uh racing for mercedes amg it's kind of been a dream of mine to race not just for um a manufacturer but with a manufacturer that is accepting of who you are who your character is like what you represent i think it's so important rather than just being a robot. It's mm-hmm. nice, but backtracking a little bit, I have to say. Aside from that stuff, winning the world championship in karting—an incredible solo, more so a solo effort because you're the only one driving that kart. Even though yeah. myself and my mechanic slash engineer, we did that together. He, I mean, you have to at the end of the day execute yourself. Whereas you know that was insane. That emotion, the feeling, the goosebumps you get from from that. Mm-hmm a world championship it's um doesn't get bigger than that in karting or in any type of motorsport really and then of course daytona which is the obvious one winning the the ulex 24 pick yeah that's that's a different emotion because you're doing it with multiple people and with a team of course right the pit stops were on point like that actually won us the race because it the fast pit stop put us in the front Mm -hmm. we we Entered P2, we exited P1 out of the last pit stop with 52 minutes to go. That was it. That was the key. And you're just doing that with multiple people, though. So it's a much different experience.
0: What do you enjoy um, driving with other drivers, like on the same team, like that kind of versus driving on your own? Like, obviously, there's challenges and things that come along with that. But I, I would, you know, what do you enjoy about that? I guess.
1: I think it's nice to have a little bit of both yeah depends because sometimes it can be frustrating if Mm -hmm. um if you're driving with uh, more of a gentleman driver that really isn't a hundred percent committed that's really challenging i don't care if somebody's not quick but the effort that you put in is something that You can't fault anyone for that. If I see somebody not putting any effort and getting terrible results, it frustrates me. If somebody's Mm -hmm. really trying hard, but not getting results, it's okay, that's something you can work on. Yeah. I've been pretty fortunate to drive with top level drivers. I haven't really had to drive with too many uh, gentlemen funded programs. Yeah. But this year has been the first year where I'm really focused more on driving with gentlemen drivers because i'm i got changed just to put this simply there's fia driver rankings and essentially it's split into like two categories but there's two different categories within those so you have bronze and silver which is considered amateur and for Mm -hmm. the most part generally speaking those are put into one category so bronze silver and then gold platinum are in the pro category So I've been a silver or they call me a sneaky silver for the past few years because I wasn't really racing enough to get bumped. And when I did get bumped to a gold, I appealed it and I won my appeal so I could stay in that like amateur category, even though I was still making a living from racing there. I was earning money, which technically there's a gray area there. There's a lot of sneaky silvers still today that are filling that amateur position within a team where the team owner just wants to win and they fund the whole thing. The team owner sits back, pays for the whole program, gets the two best guys can get amateur and pro amateur, but they're sneaky silver. But now I'm in a position where I got upgraded to a gold rating and I'm stuck on that and maybe more in the future, but there's really not a big difference between gold and platinum. And so that puts me in a position where it's very rare where you're going to get into a team where you have like a very fast silver and a team owner that funds it. So now Makes this sense. is this is the situation I'm dealing with, but it's awesome because it's a new challenge. And I'm working with my co-drivers who are less experienced. They're bronze rated. So those are very much amateur drivers, successful businessmen that, are taking their turn racing, and they can afford it. So, um, yeah. teaching them how to drive, I'm actually coaching and racing on the same weekends. So it's a lot more That's involved. Fun, yeah. It's actually pretty challenging because there's no free time. You're you're driving the car, you're debriefing with your engineers, and then you're also coaching and going through the data and video with your co-driver. Wow. So there's a lot.
0: Yeah it it's a different it's a different pressure on you too, right? Because you're you're kind of managing both. Yeah, you're responsible um, for yourself and for your co-driver. Yeah, that's so cool. I appreciate you breaking down the driver stuff. I, I was trying to explain this. I don't know. I, Did I do a good job either. of it? I think so. I mean, I'm I'm still. I, I gotta be honest. It's funny. Sim racing. Actually, I was always into motorsports. I watched F1 all the time, and but. Sim racing kind of got me into watching things more like IMSA, and 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 now watching your series. Actually, now I'm kind of watch, you know, following you a little bit, just because this is sort of the sim racing. Funny, it's funny. It got me into that now because I've been driving those cars in the sim. Yeah, I got curious, and I was trying to explain this to somebody, like even just multi class racing to somebody about these, you know, multi class on the same track, and it was, it was funny trying to explain to someone that knows nothing about it, right? Yeah. Well,
1: in IMSA, Um, generally, you're getting a lot more sneaky silvers. Okay. let's call it, or yeah. silvers that have financial backing. So you'll have a higher level of amateur drivers, amateur. Let's always put that in air quotes because these yeah. guys, some of them aren't really amateur. They're, a lot of them are getting paid or they're very, very quick kids out of karting that have wealthy families that can afford it. Mm-hmm. So the level is really high in IMSA. For even the starting drivers, generally the starters, for gtd which is the gt3 cars will be more amateur drivers but you'll even see now guys like madison snow who are silver he's finishing races and they i think broke a record for most wins in a single season in imsa they're at five wins on the season in eight races or, or nine races now i think nine races okay five out of nine races they've won and he's a silver he starts and finishes so his co-driver does the middle stint. Oh. So it's very interesting because he's ranked as a silver, which would be considered amateur, but he is the finishing driver and the starting driver, which is unique. But then other there's other drivers in the grid. You only see in the very back. So there's maybe four or five guys in the back of the grid that they're genuine amateur drivers that start the races. So it is much more challenging in IMSA to do well with that sort of pairing with a bronze rated driver, a proper gentleman. Usually you'll only see success coming with a super silver or a sneaky Mm -hmm. silver Um, in SRO with the Pro-Am class. So I'm racing the GT3 car in Pro-Am in SRO GT World Challenge and then GT4 in IMSA. Because I'm very limited with my driver ranking, it's hard. There's not many seats as a gold in IMSA WeatherTech. And because it's my first year, you have to build that rapport with the team and prove that you, you're you worthy and you, you have the ability to step into that pro spot. So it is tough. There's a lot to manage. But in SRO, you'll see a lot more genuine bronze amateur drivers. It's actually mandated to have bronze, not silver. Okay. If you're a silver, yeah. you're actually considered... In the pro class so it's a little bit different the way it works in sro so you'll have a big disparity between speeds of drivers in pro-am so the the pro driver will be two to three seconds faster than the am driver usually so that's how that's how it works um if you're less experienced you'll typically veer towards the sro path if you are a little bit more experienced or you're a fast am driver you would take your chance in IMSA and do GTD there but if you're not experienced you'll get eaten alive and it won't be a good experience in IMSA so that's why like IMSA is really high quality especially end of race GTD across the board whether it's pro or regular you have pros through and through so it's an incredible race to watch yeah
0: it's incredible to watch I've been been telling like friends and stuff to to check it out right like it's not everyone it's not as widely known about but You know, for those that are into racing, no. Um, but the racing is really exciting for sure. So what is it like driving sometimes back to back, different, you know, weekend to weekend, going from the GT4 car to the GT3? I mean, obviously aerodynamics and and power, but is there is it is it difficult transitioning back and forth? Have you sort of gotten that motion now? And that's just part of being a driver.
1: Yeah, it's tricky. It was at first
0: going more
1: so from GT3 down to GT4. You would think it's the opposite. you'd think it'd be harder to go up to gt3 but it's actually much easier to attack more in a car that has more grip more downforce more power yeah it's a lot less um you have to push a lot less in the gt4 if you push too much you lose speed because you go over the limit of the car very easily so dialing yourself back and really focusing on controlling your entry speeds and focusing on good exit is challenging in gt4 so that was a struggle going from gt3 to gt4 never from gt4 to gt3 because i did it in daytona with zero laps of practice because um just to explain quickly this year in daytona i joined a new team new organization called windward racing and They signed me to race through Mercedes as a suggestion because I'm part of their driver pool. They offered me to Winward, and they said, would you do GT4? I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'll do GT4. I, at this point, I wanted to do everything and anything I could. And GT4 yeah. with Winward is a great program. One of the top teams in the world. So I could see the potential to step up eventually in the future into their GT3 car.
0: Yeah, It happened a lot experience. quicker
1: than I thought, unfortunately, due to an injury with another driver who had a practice accident broke his back and naturally they were looking who could step in they saw the performance i provided in the gt4 race and knew that i had history at daytona winning the race and also being pretty quick in the merc there in the Mm -hmm. past well the the previous year so they they said okay you get the shot but we won't get the car ready until the race (laughs) so uh they had to go to the backup car they brought it all the way from texas and my very first lap in the race it was already on pace right away yeah i think my fourth lap in the car in the race was the quickest lap of the race uh up to that point
0: yeah so no it makes sense what you're saying it was easy stepped
1: in yeah uh, my outlap was pretty hectic because I had four DPIs or not DPIs, LMDH now, GTPs. Yeah. Try, like swallowing me up. I'm like, there are cars on both sides of me going into turn six onto the banking. You know, you just had to make sure you didn't wad it up on your outlap. <laughs> and after the yeah. tires got heat in them, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling more comfortable. So just pushed every lap a little bit more, a little bit more. And by the fourth lap, it was already there. So it's not hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas going from GT3, the very first break zone, it's like, oh, I'm way too deep, way too deep in there. You got yeah, back something's
0: it up. off here. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's if it's it's so different in, even in the sim too, right? Kind of going back and forth. Um, yeah, it's cool. So, what do you what do you kind of what's your um, your mental and your physical lead up to racing in general? Do you have like a pre race ritual? Like, how do you get yourself in the mind space? I I always am curious about this with drivers, you know. Everybody has their ritual, so to speak. What, what for you? What is it?
1: Uh, I don't really have a ritual. I you know spend as much time as I can at the back of the trailer, connecting with people at the racetrack, and I don't know. I don't know if I I use the energy, like I just absorb the energy from the the event, mm-hmm. and that helps me. But I spend a lot of time speaking with people. Trying yeah. to engage. Well, actually, with- I
0: noticed that, in, at Mossport, like you were, you know, you're out and about, and and check, you know, making sure to talk to all the fans. I thought that was awesome. And taking yeah. pictures, and 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 then you're like, okay, I got to get to the grid now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm a bit late. Um, that's yeah. what. Remember,
1: we were saying how I wing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a perfect example. I was on the yeah. sim. I'm like, oh, I think I have to go to the grid. I um, think I need to go into actual car now. <laughs> yeah, but I just. Um, I do whatever I feel like doing. I don't have a ritual. I just, yeah, whatever I feel like doing, I'll I'll do that. If I want to have an espresso, I go have five. Yeah. Um, but you know
0: what? In a way, that's a ritual to me. Is just staying relaxed. That that in a sense is your your ritual. You're yeah. not you're not sort of getting too in your head about it. I, I think, think that's, the more
1: rituals you have,
0: yeah, the more difficult it is to switch on
1: when you don't go through your ritual. So mm-hmm. if you just Condense it as much as possible. And everyone takes, you know, maybe more or less time to get in the zone. For me, all it takes is two, three minutes before I go on track. I kind of go by myself, don't talk to anybody, get my earphones ready, all my equipment, I lay it out. And that's pretty much all it takes for me just a couple minutes to get locked in. As soon as my helmet goes on, I'm in the zone.
0: Yeah then i can't hear anybody
1: anyway so if you're talking to me i won't hear you (laughs) (laughs) the the headphones block out the sound but yeah um yeah i think just having the helmet on doing a little bit of breathing exercise i kind of take a few deep breaths in and out and that really helps lower down your stress level
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and gets you zoned in but the most stressful part actually about driving the race car And from my point of view now, because I usually am like the finishing driver, Mm -hmm. so I'll get in after the race starts. The most stressful time is right before the car comes into the pit lane. Your heart starts beating so fast. Like you get that adrenaline rush. It's not nerve. It's well, it is nervousness, right? It's nerves, but but not in a uh, debilitating way. It's getting your body ready for battle. Right, you're going to yeah. you're going to war on track, so it's getting your senses okay. all fired up, and uh, that's the coolest. I just coolest got goosebumps feeling.
0: thinking about it. I just got goosebumps picturing myself doing that. Yeah.
1: Imagine man <laughs> standing on the wall. You have your yeah. helmet on. You're looking down pit lane in anticipation of that car, car in. coming in. Yeah.
0: The first moment
1: you see the nose of the car coming around the corner into pit lane, then everything just goes like really silent, and you're just zoned in on that, and all you can think about. Is like the first step jumping off the wall getting to the car and like going through the sequence of well the first thing is literally doing the driver change it's very technical what you have to do when you get in the car and it's so easy to mess it up there's yeah, a sequence you steps. need to hit one step two steps three steps with the door the window net the radio disconnect making sure the seatbelt doesn't fall behind the seat making sure the the cockpit's prepared before you get in if you have an insert you have to put that in smoothly you can't rush and bump things because the more you fiddle and knock things around the slower your pit stop is and you yeah. the last thing you want is to be waiting on the driver change you need to be 15 16 seconds driver out driver in ready to go with hands on the wheel yeah and you guys would practice this i would assume right a lot absolutely mm-hmm. we're yeah we're practicing so we more or less know the choreography. Yeah.
0: So every team like and dance, driver right? does it differently. It's a dance.
1: But yeah. that's where the driver input comes in. So we'll work with our mechanics to get magnets put in the right spots so we can buckle, like we can hit seatbelts, the buckles onto magnets and put them out of the way because we're not allowed to bungee. So on the waist belts, we're allowed bungee straps, but on the shoulder belts, we're not allowed bungees. Mm. Bungee straps, meaning you can tie them to two points and then basically you undo the seat belts and they just pop up. But it doesn't do that. the The waist belts pop open. You're allowed bungees right. down there, so we have to be creative. Put magnets on the roll bars, oh,
0: so we actually smack yeah, the smart.
1: seat belt on the right shoulder up on the roll bar, and you have to make sure it goes there. Because if it yeah. doesn't hit the the magnet and it falls down, the driver goes in. You can't get the seat belt. You literally don't have the mobility to get that seat belt from behind. Yeah, you.
0: or you're fumbling to get it and you hit something. You know, you're not supposed to
1: yeah so it is the probably the most stressful part and once you're in and you have everything tightened up you're like oh thank goodness then you can focus then driving is the easy part
0: yeah sometimes let me let me switch i want to switch gears a little bit i have a i have a question here like well, here are we going different- to now you know, we we're first now gear. second <laughs> <laughs> so i was thinking about this the other day like With the different cars and and, and through your progression through motorsports, what have been some kind of some of the advancements with car technology, racing, that you think impacted how you drive the most? If that that question makes sense, or what things have been most um, noticeable for you or to have to compensate for? There's a few things. Well, the big jump for me was going
1: from a sequential gearbox because you needed to basically take your hand off the wheel and pull back to change gears when i went yeah. from that to a paddle shifting car that wasn't just a complete game changer so that was a huge technological jump for me in terms of technique the the most difficult thing i had to adapt to would be a turbo car mm-hmm. uh, back in 2010 i drove in gp3 which is now FIA formula 3 the cars were tricky to drive because the turbo had so much lag and it only spooled above 80% throttle position. So it was a very challenging car to drive correctly. The technique was way different than anything I've driven before. Right. So in order to get that like launch off the corner, you needed to drive the corner very different to get the throttle open early.
0: So your entry and your exit, everything had to be perfectly timed. It was
1: a high grip, high downforce car, yet you still needed to, you needed to back it up, get rotation early and be on power above 80% throttle in order to gain free time down the next straight. So that was a very tricky season to adapt to not only brand new circuits for me, but a complete different technique than I've ever been used to driving. Mm -hmm. So that was Hopefully that answers I think that was the hardest. No, no. That's, that was that's kind of what thing I was to getting adapt at. To. Yeah, Aside I was just that, curious about that. You would think that engine position would be difficult to adapt to. Because I've driven cars with front, mid, and rear engine. I didn't find that as difficult as driving a turbo car. Especially yeah. with the configuration the way it was with the spec series. You couldn't change mapping. You couldn't change throttle positioning. It was just...
0: Drive it and adapt. It is what it is. Yeah. yeah. No, it makes sense because it's it's one of those things you got to get it right or else it's going to go wrong really quickly, right? That's why the SIM sometimes is interesting because
1: you can adapt and adjust everything. You can tune and calibrate your settings however you want.
0: Yeah. And you, you can, can kind of almost fix a car you don't like, right?
1: Yeah, you can compensate yeah, with, with macros and con- different controls. But in the real car, sometimes it's like, this is what you have. Got to figure it out.
0: Figure it out. That's cool. So, what's you know, what are the achievements? What's on your bucket list? What's on your racing career bucket list? Like, what do you want you know to do next, or like further down the line? What do you think about?
1: I would like to. I mean, I love the endurance races. It's a big question. Winning the (laughs) endurance races, it's great. Yeah, doing Le Mans, it's one on my bucket list. Not just doing it, but winning. Mm-hmm. I don't just want to participate in anything. I'm I'm not a fan of just participation. I actually like winning. So no matter what it is, I don't care what level. I just want to win. I love the process of figuring out how to win. That is probably the most exciting. Winning just pointlessly is. It's it's fun. It's obviously better than losing, but mm-hmm. that challenge of like how to figure out and engineer a path to success. That's so yeah. rewarding and fulfilling. So yeah, Le Mans I think is probably the number one race on my bucket list. Mm-hmm. I would love to race prototypes in the future. Get back to like my single seater route, uh, my roots, and drive prototypes. I know that that suits my style of driving a lot more. I really love the aggressive attacking yeah. entry speed type of driving style.
0: So have you had a chance to drive a, a prototype in real life or just in, yeah. the, in the sim? Yeah, I've driven. It? Yeah.
1: My very first IMSA WeatherTech race actually was yeah. in a prototype. Funny oh, enough. Oh, was it? Okay. Not a lot of yeah. people remember or know, but uh, yeah, I, I drove with Allegra Motorsports in a Daytona prototype BMW Riley chassis. Yeah. It was outdated uh, by far because the LMP2 cars were just introduced and they were by far more they they were superior it was lmp2 in the front and and daytona prototypes. so it was kind of that year where the tequila patron car was there and um it was a blend but we struggled in the dry but in the wet we were fast um we Mm -hmm. actually got it uh got it up to second overall and we were holding second overall until i got out of the car and unfortunately my teammate that got in spun and got stuck in the mud and then mm-hmm. the electronics got uh damaged i don't know it was just not a good program but it was fun but i did drive the prototype yeah. there i also raced lmp3 at daytona before it was in WeatherTech. i did the prototype challenge okay. finished on the podium and that um that was fun i enjoy the prototypes it's yeah and I did some historic races in that Daytona prototype at Daytona, which was incredible, but cool. unfortunately didn't go above 200 miles an hour. We did 199.6 miles per hour. Mm, so, so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying so hard to go over 200. Oh man. It's okay.
0: So we're going to, we're going to talk about sim racing a little bit, but my final question uh, about racing and, and you know, this is kind of the a question that you've probably been asked before, maybe, but you know, what advice you have for somebody that wants to get into this career, you know, based on kind of what you went through and wants to kind of follow in your footsteps and, and get into professional racing, you know, what would you tell that? What would you tell that young Daniel Morad if what you know now? I would say to be open-minded
1: when opportunities mm-hmm. are presenting themselves to you. To take those opportunities and not be so fixated on an unrealistic goal Mm -hmm. um there's a time where you can set really really big goals for yourself but there's also times where you have to be realistic and see the path that's presenting itself to you Uh, if there are too many obstacles you know you have to make a decision a well-calculated decision because just going back to my mistake i think money aside Right? That would be the thing I would focus on the most is when I was younger to try to raise as much money, try to find value for someone to get involved and support my career and be creative with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But also I think the thing that destroyed my part of my uh, growth in, the career, in my career and why I took the time off was because I had a GT program that was offered to me when I was in single-seaters and I turned it down which probably would have led to me being a factory driver when I was 18 or 19 years old
0: mm-hmm.
1: for a manufacturer. I turned that down to pursue Formula One and it just so happened that all at that same point, everything kind of fell apart. So knowing when to take those opportunities and not be so hyper-focused on one path, be open-minded to everything. GT racing, if I would have done it earlier, I would have had a... a maybe maybe not a better career than right now but definitely there would have been more opportunities or i would be better yeah. positioned
0: yeah so take those opportunities right take when to the opportunities
1: yeah. when they smack you in the face <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't wipe your Good face advice. off and just
1: keep going in the same direction <laughs>
0: <laughs> solid advice so let's talk about sim racing right and I know a lot of people are interested in, in, in this, and, and you've been bringing a lot of your perspectives to YouTube, which is great. And we'll talk a little bit about that too. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm very new to sim racing, actually. And just in the last few years, it, it may seem like I've been doing it forever, but I just kind of threw myself into it head first. Um, the pandemic obviously undoubtedly, I think had a significant, you know, growth for, for this, um, hobby and interest. Um, more people are at home looking for things to do how did you you know what was your first um i guess experience with sim racing or was it through gaming you know when did you look at it and go okay this is extremely interesting and extremely useful tool for me too
1: i think i actually looked back at my iRacing account and i realized that yeah. i opened it in 2014. okay um 2014 or 2015 i believe it was i did one official race (laughs) and um (laughs) then i did another official race in 2017 one then i started doing a little bit more in in 2019 just because a few friends were into it and i had vr at the time and you know i was like oh whatever you know it's cool it's fun but The performance was not great. My equipment wasn't that good. And I didn't really feel like it was really realistic because of my equipment that I was using. I I had Logitech G27 wheel and pedals Mm -hmm. and a a wooden Mm -hmm. frame. And then I got a play seat. And I'm like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Like, you know, those entry level play seats. And, uh, I just slowly started getting more pieces because my buddies were into it. And I'm like, man, how are they so good at this? And then the in yeah. the competition took over me. I was like, I have to be better. So I got oh, kind of yeah. got into the it. Racer in you. A little bit more w- because of a few friends. Actually, funny enough, Giuliano Romagnolo, who's we know him as Stu. He's a huge uh piece of the community. Um, uh, one of my, yeah. my my really good friends in real life, he um he was sim racing and I played soccer with him and I found out that he was racing and he was sim racing and I played soccer against his team, like, you know, men's league soccer. Yeah. And that's how I kind of got into it a little bit more. Then COVID hit and all we could do was sim racing. And I started racing with guys like Lando Norris and Max Verstappen. And I was like, yeah. this is kind of cool. You know, we're we're all yeah. just all over the world. And those are just a few, like the notable ones, but obviously there yeah. were tons of other pro drivers antonio felix da costa was the guy that really put everything together but you had drivers mm-hmm. from dtm gt prototypes f1 f2 f3 rally you had everything formula one uh like legends Barrichello yeah. was racing with us uh, jensen button was racing with us like it was so cool yeah. so we just did that every single day during covid yeah, and why not? Kind of fell in love with it more and more. And as my equipment got better and better, and I I didn't have this stuff when I first started. No, like I said, I had no. G27, wooden frame. Like I started from very humble beginnings. And mm-hmm. just through the partnerships and working hard on racing and trying to connect with people, like I mentioned, I don't spend my time in my trailer. I spend my time connecting with the people that support motorsport and build yep. a connection with them. And Through my connections with people, they trust what I say. And when I use this equipment and I stand by the stuff that I use because all this stuff is good, then it works on the business side, right? Which is why I start having these things more and more. I work really hard at the racetrack. I work hard to get in a car and to perform, to connect with the fans and to build that connection so that they trust me enough that when I say something is good, they buy it if they can if they have the means to or they're in the position to afford that upgrade and it just makes everyone's experience better my experience is incredible right now because the way i have this rig i mean you know on my youtube channel i'm up you know i really focus on trying to connect the sim racing with real life racing
0: because this is my training so great about it yeah I noticed like I remember when I first saw the video pop up and I it's funny I always thought you were on YouTube I was like wait a minute you're right he doesn't have a YouTube channel and I was like yeah this is makes so, so much sense for 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 him to be on YouTube this is going to be awesome let's see what he does with this and then you you kind of took it in a different way than I thought <clears throat> and really started providing this sort of um nitty-gritty stuff that we're like dying for i remember when you did the seat adjustments and you're like measuring the angle i'm like oh this guy knows this guy understands (laughs) he understands us because there's some of us out there that like for me ergonomics is a big thing and being comfortable in the rig but i think part of us sit there and we get our seat set up and we go is this realistic is this the way it's actually set up you know and and we obsess a little bit over it i know i did um i was close to your measurements actually on my own believe it or not so i must I must know what is supposed to feel right. Your natural born driver, posi- I guess. Like it's because it, I you put put it in a position and it feels okay. This feels good, and I feel like I have good pedal control and good full steering range and stuff. But um, I think it's so cool what you're you're bringing to the community and you're you're bringing it in a very digestible, high production quality and very like straightforward, easy to understand. We've seen it. You know, it's rare on YouTube professional drivers that sharing the same racing there's a lot of guys out there like tony canaan and and different guys but I, I like the way that you're um you're presenting it and i think people are loving it your channel has seen huge growth in in a short period of time which is no surprise to me um so it's awesome it's so awesome what you're doing yeah um i mean i i definitely want it to be easily digestible that's
1: yeah. you know there are many guys that get so technical but when you yeah it's the same way i approach coaching. Right? When I try to teach somebody, like in school, I could not understand when people got way too technical. I need very simple, show me the way to do it, not don't tell me how to do it. Show me the way for me to figure it out. I'll figure it mm-hmm. out. I want to give people the tools, and I always say this when I when I teach. We call it coaching, but I call it teaching. I want to teach people how to understand the dynamics of their car so that you can understand what you're doing. If I just tell you break at the 100 board, turn in here, go on power here, you're only just doing what I tell you to do. You're not actually understanding what you're doing. And you won't be able to repeat it on your own. No, you'll need me to hold your hand the whole time. Although it's great business for me because you'll you'll keep coming back. I'd rather share my knowledge and teach people, many more people, and give the tools to take that next step to go from level one to two, And then, once you've maxed out level two and you need to get that extra two tenths, we can go again. And then we start to break down those finer details. But racing doesn't need to be complicated. It's actually pretty simple to get close. It's pretty simple to get this stuff close. You just need the information and you need to know. I don't tell people set up your seat at exactly this angle. I say, this is how mine is. But if you feel a pain in your elbow, then it's probably because either this is incorrect or that's incorrect so check those two measurements and adjust it until the pain goes away so those are the kind of things i try to target not just set it like this and that's it that's the best way
0: yeah i noticed that's what you were doing is kind of highlighting the reasons why right why do this if you feel this adjust here right so it made a lot of sense Um, i think people get hung up on oh this is how it's supposed to be but it's you know, with with the sim rig, and even in a real car, you can get your your you're able to set up your seat what's comfortable for you. um So yeah, it makes total sense. I remember like the one I the one that sticks in my head was I was watching your your video on defend, defending defending yeah. your position. I was having a lot of problems with this in i racing where you know I just I felt like I couldn't uh, defend my position in, in a good way, right? And I and, you know I made some mistakes and and pulled some you know did some things that were wrong, and. I, w- I remember just something stuck with me was just uh, controlling the center of the course i think is what you said or controlling yeah. the center of the circuit and i started subconsciously sort of starting to do that in the next couple races and i was getting podiums and, and keeping my position in it in a in the right way you know yeah. responsible way let's say on the track yeah predictable weaving back and forth yes and it was i could see i was really messing with guys behind me i think they were getting up you know because i would kind of come into the center and i knew that i was that was my corner still, so I could control it. So, yeah, it's really cool stuff what you're doing, and I think, um, you know, I think it's exciting to see that. Um, what do you think, like from sim racing? What has been been maybe the one thing or a couple of things that have helped you de- or helped you develop the most certain racing skills from sim racing that you've now seen results on the real track from? You know, it's so funny because
1: on my fourth, you can see on the fourth monitor above my rig. I have, mm-hmm. I don't have anything, no HUD on my actual screens. I try to keep it as realistic as possible. I just have the virtual mirror because I find that the FOV of the mirrors in-game aren't really accurate. You don't yeah. get as much from that. Like the FOV from the virtual mirror is a lot more uh, tunable and realistic. So I use that. But mm-hmm. aside from that, I don't have any HUD. I use the fourth monitor for my telemetry. So I get live telemetry from my throttle and brake input and steering no i don't really look at steering because i know what i'm doing but yeah. the pedal position is so important and what has helped me so much in the real car is i feel so much more connected to my pedals which ultimately your pedals turn the car your mm-hmm. steering wheel guides the car where you want it to go but the rate at which your car rotates is all done through the pedals so if you need more rotation you can trail a bit more brake longer into the corner so a light pressure longer keeps weight on the front whereas if you get off the brake it brings that load or the weight off the front tire so it rotates a bit less if you go on power it unloads the front tire even more and sets the weight in the rear if you go too early you might snap the rear I see all these things happening in real life now because I, I can almost see this telemetry graph no joke in my head because Mm. it's something through repetition i've done so much driving on the sim and knowing how the car rotates and what i'm doing with my foot that i pay way more attention to what my feet are doing in the real car so when i have a bad race car let's say the differential is uh opening too much it's too free on entry and the car rotates i know right away i can't i can't coast as much through the corner i have to be basically back to throttle to stabilize the rear of the car So just little things or to get the car to rotate, maybe you need to brake hard in a straight line, get off the the brake and rotate really quickly and get back to power to, you know, make the car rotate. Just little things that I have done on the sim with my feet make me, like I said, so much more connected with the real car. And I even said that to my engineer once. I'm like, I don't even need to look at Mm. telemetry anymore out of the car i can tell you everything i'm doing like i can tell you everything and oh. we've done it too where i've given my feedback and i've said everything even down to like damper travel and things like this wow i could tell my engineer what i'm feeling differential i could i, I could tell what the preload was on the differential it's incredible That's just amazing, with my yeah. feet and how i've learned so much from the telemetry like live telemetry bringing that to the real car has probably been the biggest help to to my career right now because i've gotten way faster
0: since driving oh that makes a lot of sense oh for sure i mean it's undoubtedly a a, such a useful tool right because you could pretty much load you can load up your car uh, and you can load up the track that you're going to and and work on strategy right yeah it's not one-to-one like there's yeah. I think it,
1: it it ebbs and flows based on updates and things like that. Like it's been good. It's kind of going through a weird patch on GT3s currently. Mm-hmm. With the especially with the AMG GT3, it's kind of driving a little funny right now because there's been so many updates to the tire and the car is a little bit out of that window. So there's almost a disconnect. But it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. too much because at the end of the day, even if it's not the most balanced car, you still have to adapt to it. So, learning to adapt, you're never having the perfect race car in real life. You don't get as much lap track time as you do in the sim. So, on the sim, there are way less variables because you basically have figured all of them out by doing laps, right? You've tried every setup change, you've done every type of weather. In real life, one day it's 55 degree track temp, the next day it's 30 degree track temp. And The track rubbers in different ways. It evolves a lot more rapidly over a weekend or degrades. If it rains, there are a lot more variables. So, to figure that out on the fly, it's a lot more challenging in real life. But, you know, Mm -hmm. having these hurdles that you have to overcome on the sim, it helps. The worse it is, sometimes the easier it is because the more different scenarios you encounter, the easier it is to adapt and to figure out how to overcome that
0: oh for sure now i mean you have access to some some amazing equipment right that we know can make a huge difference like and the new setup is awesome i mean how are you enjoying the asr pro nice it's uh, it's such a great such a great cockpit eh it's
1: not only is it just more beautiful because uh,
0: you can paint or
1: do whatever you want on the side profile it is nice but i feel like just the the little quality of life things that have been upgraded with the wheel although i'm not really i'm not moving it like nobody else is driving this rig but me it's just nice to be able mm-hmm. to adjust it so perfectly and ergonomically it makes more sense you can push the side beams away from you and bring that whole wheel mechanism closer have not as long of a wheel shaft so you don't get as much flex in it and yeah. it just makes more sense the pedal decks nice it's very easy to adjust up and down but more so that steel plate across the back, I feel makes it a lot more rigid and there's less creaks and cracks, especially with D-Box. With motion, it's just more sturdy. You don't have to tighten the bolts yeah. as much or anything. Not that I had to do that on the old rig, but you could definitely hear just with the way the joints work with those corner brackets on the eighty twenty profile or the extruded profile. No yeah. matter what, you know, it's constantly twisting and flexing right on those corners. But with this new mm-hmm. new design, it's pretty nice. Like on top of that, we got SimuCube 2 Ultimate, which surprisingly has been a a significant jump forward in performance.
0: I was going to ask you, do you notice um for user a difference between the the pro, a big difference or a noticeable difference? It's
1: if you're like, mm, am I going to go way better and get, get more speed, the answer is no. You're not going to go faster, mm-hmm. I don't think, with an ultimate, but it does have so much more text. Like there's more layering in it, something that you, you just need to have your hands on it to really feel. And I did, I went back to back like day before I drove with the pro yeah. next day, drove with the ultimate and exact same car settings, everything. And it's like, oh yeah, there's like, it's smoother. It's quicker to unwind yeah. like when you start feeling that slide in the back it's not so um numb there's like a numbness in the pr- not a numbness in the pro but it just feels so much more direct like it's happening instantaneous yes.
0: I noticed a bit of it too cuz uh, my first time trying the ultimate was at was at uh, Mosport yeah. at your, your trailer um and then I just recently was in Montreal actually at ASR's their new their new headquarters which looks amazing yeah. i it's, saw the videos it's, it's like anybody that loves sim racing like would want their this top floor of the headquarters in your basement like there's a bar and you've got flight sim room like it's just it's a dream come to true go. i wish i wish i wasn't so far away from um their headquarters I was like i'd move to montreal if i could hang out there but um yeah no the adjustability of the sr pro is i think a, a huge thing i think even for People like myself, I like changing the wheel up. You know, I'm driving different cars just to be able to do those micro adjustments. Um, That's actually a good point. Cool.
1: I never thought about. Yeah. That's when it would come in handy. When you change wheels, you you have an extension on one, but you don't have it on the other. The wheels are a little bit different. To get your ergonomics set
0: correctly, it's literally two screws, and you just like half turn, half turn, slide. Yeah. It's yeah. These quality of life things are are what what are worth it, and and that's why i i recommend things like that that make sense would you say like what do you think is the hardware um that's like most realistic right now what what is helping in terms of replicating is it is it the d box is, is it this the active pedals or is it just everything combined now um yeah, everything combined been a game is you? pretty yeah. nice
1: it's a it's if there's one specific thing that will help you with racing in general only separation between a good driver and an elite driver is how you brake. so Mm -hmm. let's just say you have a decent rig already the brake pedal is the thing that changes the experience because Mm -hmm. and this is something that my teammates mentioned bryce ward he um he doesn't have a very you know he has an okay brake pedal Uh, i'm not going to name names but (laughs) he he's like you know the travel is not really precise um it doesn't the the brake doesn't move as much as the real car and he's like i can't get it dialed in the way the real car feels and every time i go back to the gt4 to drive it i always end up pushing the brake too much because um it's my pedal so so short like the travel's so short and it's so stiff and in the gt4 it's like 50 kilograms of force you might need 50 60 maximum and the travel is like six or seven centimeters. Like it moves a good amount,
0: whereas most yeah. sim pedals move this much. I was surprised. Actually, it's funny. I didn't know how much travel was in in some of the real races. Yeah, and you see it models. in my videos like, that I posted. Yeah, you see it, it, moves, it in your videos. It moves that which is much. Like so cool. Gt three even yeah. moves
1: six six centi- six or seven centimeters of travel.
0: Yeah, but you're right. A lot of sim pedals are sort of replicating short travel, and I don't know if that's the case in open wheel or or Formula One cars, but even Formula One cars, I've seen videos where there's there can be quite a bit of travel. It's a stiffer
1: pedal, but there's still quite a bit of travel. And every team is different. McLaren has a longer travel, uh, whereas Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Mercedes might have a shorter travel. And it's also down to the driver's preference. Master cylinder size makes a huge difference in that. I know that even in our car, in the Mercedes, we can change master cylinder size. And there's kind of like a meta that you would run front to rear just to get the right balance and the release rate because you can get like stickiness if you have the wrong combination and what i mean by that it's Uh almost like an e-brake feeling where you can release the brake and the rear uh pads might stick on too long oh so you'll get like this weird rotation in so it's almost like a false sense of oversteer on entry but it might not be because then it like whips to understeer
0: (laughs) ah okay yeah but it's there, there
1: are certain things you could do, but anyway, rake pedal is probably the most important piece of sim equipment. The active yeah. pedal is expensive. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But if you can replicate your braking in real life and the technique, the cadence, the timing, the pressure, the rate of release, the release point, if you can get all that stuff sort of similar, then you jump in the real car and it's no problem. It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. I'm not joking when I say this. So this is even before um, that's more of a D-Box thing. But when I went to Indy with the D box, it's also very cool. It felt exactly the same. My very first lap, mm-hmm. I was already on pace. I've never driven there yeah. on that layout in the GT3 car. I was on pace straight away from iRacing with D-Box straight into the real car, hitting the curbs. It felt so natural. I was like, oh, I've already done this. Yeah. But then driving all season going from gt3 to gt4 getting you know getting my braking dialed back in for gt4 has been awesome because in the beginning of the year it was hard to go down to gt4 like i said but when i drive on the sim my brake pedal is tuned in a way where it feels very much like the gt4 and when i brake it's big travel softer pedal feel a little bit softer than the gt3 and longer slightly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the technique in the way way you brake is a lot different. You need to keep the front tires straight on the initial hit on the brakes. If you rotate it a little bit and you have a bit of of, uh, weight distribution on the left or right versus dead straight, the car doesn't stop. It just keeps going. The thing just won't slow down. So that braking, the brake pedal has helped me transition back and forth and now it's just subconscious now i don't even need it it's just programmed so that's i
0: think yeah i mean it makes total sense for that sense you know that's why i just don't like acc
1: to be honest and not to like make it uh i I think that it does some things well i just don't treat it as like a simulator i would use to train because it's so far away on the most critical part of the corner which is braking the timing is People can say oh with the pressure you know it's you don't you can tune your pedals so that it's easier to go to 100% pressure or whatever it's not that it's the timing of everything it's how long you spend on peak pressure it's how you mm-hmm. peak it hold it release it the timing of the release the the, the holding pressure on the release on the very end that t- tail end all these things the the casual sim racer that will say acc is the most realistic thing without n- ever driving a real car it drives yeah, me crazy that, because i'm statement. just like man yeah i, I do this I, I
0: appreciate that you you did the comparison because you could see the the demand and i was waiting for it but you can see but the video means, right
1: like, you can see yeah how it no, no, works
0: no. It, what's funny though like so i have no real experience in a in a race car. i've driven like porsches and ferraris on a track and stuff like that before but you know I don't know what it is, but iRacing still to me just feels right, I, and I have no experience to base that yeah. on. It's just my until personal you go over the opinion. limit,
1: that's the problem.
0: Yeah, but in a good yes. way,
1: it, you know, looking at it from a positive. Yeah. If you push over the limit in the GT4 in real life, it's also mm-hmm. it has a similar effect, just not as bad. You lose time, but you don't yeah. overheat the tire to the point where it's undrivable. Whereas in iRacing, they got to figure out. A way to tune the thermal model where when the tire gets hot it doesn't lose like 40% grip you yeah. know it needs to be where okay you slide a little bit you you want to see that hustle in the car and the wheel if you ever watch my comparisons side by side I'm moving the wheel a lot more in the real car there's a lot more adjustments micro adjustments where I feel like the the tires mm-hmm. wobbling a bit more under me you can't do that on iRacing you need to drive it more on a rail where you're turning in one time smooth, and you're holding it. If you kind yeah, of dance over that. that limit, it overheats the tire. Then the grip goes away so quickly; it's an instantaneous drop of like forty percent grip level. Yeah. It needs to be well, I maybe think that's why five percent grip level drop, not even three percent.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's it's definitely been? In, do you think it's been improving? Do you, have you seen like iRacing today from when you started? are you
1: yes and no it's
0: improved then it's gotten
1: worse then it's improved then it's it's kind of um there's some cars that are really nice and the dynamics of the car are improving but then the thermal model is not improving it's not keeping up with the way Mm -hmm. the car drives so for instance Mm -hmm. i've driven the lmp3 car in real life i've driven the gt4 yeah they they both drive pretty those are probably my two favorite cars right now to drive in iRacing, racing i think that they are very close the amg gt4 the year like the legier yeah. yeah. p3 car Liger, sorry amg gt4 yeah. i mean i've driven those two i can tell you they feel very good very very nice. good what doesn't feel good is the moment you go over that limit where you're hustling the car and you slide a little bit the moment you slide just say say goodbye that's yeah. so frustrating yeah.
0: it's not for and i think that's why people get frustrated with it and i've noticed i've had that experience too where you know you yeah you it's like you said a little bit on rails you you sort of make that little adjustment on a corner and it 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 can be exaggerated almost in a way it feels exaggerated to you yeah but i i find it i found i racing i keep coming back to it because i find it very rewarding too at the same time when you get it right yeah um but i think you know what for for me what i tell people is if you're having fun like sim racing is not for you, it's very much a training tool yeah. as well, and you're because you have real life experience. It may, of course, you want to replicate that because why wouldn't you? And right, and it, it, that's what how you're going to get the most out of it. But for for most people, if you're this is a hobby, this is a fun thing to do. Yeah, if yeah, ACC is fun, but yeah, making a statement that it's the most realistic when you haven't had the experiences yeah. is, is a tough. Not a lot of people are gonna are gonna give you credibility on you, that. You, right? you the so, other thing to remember is yeah, it's.
1: I think racing, what's unique about it and why it did so well during when we were all locked down was yeah, it's the only game or sim or sport that you can actually replicate sitting at home
0: to a certain yeah, extent.
1: Yeah, you can't play basketball on a video game.
0: I had a similar conversation with some of the
1: other yeah, day. You can't exactly play hockey, this. you can't play yeah. soccer, you, you can sit in this rig. With the screens and feel like you're yeah, driving. FIFA's the car, not though.
0: very realistic to soccer. Right? What, what's that? <laughs> FIFA's oh, not yeah, very no, realistic to I mean, soccer. I, last time I checked, I don't do this up. with
1: uh, my feet. You know. <laughs> so it's true. You're using yeah, the you same. Can get exhausted. You're using the same muscles, and mentally, mm-hmm. it's so close that sometimes you, like, lose yourself in it. And yeah, no, I can feel winded. It, yeah. like, from a race. But if I'm doing the you wrong know, technique I, for an extended period of time, I'll give you an example. I drove at Spa 24 last year, and there's a, a sim race that they host before the actual race, and it counts for manufacturer mm-hmm. points. So it's really oh, come unique. On. Really, it actually counts for real life manufacturer points. So That's my crazy. team nominated me because they're like, "You're the sim racing guy." I'm like, "But I'm not like an okay, ACC you, guy. You have to
0: do it." Yeah, um,
1: I don't really know how to, you know, optimize it, but I'll figure it out. So I tried to figure it out, and I adapted to drive it properly whereas Mm -hmm. you know it was completely different to the way i was driving on that same weekend we drove the mercedes at spa on acc and then Mm -hmm. i had to go and my next session was qualifying i'm like i really don't want to do this because it's going to throw me off completely Mm. the the timing on the braking where you brake the gearing is different just everything was so different that when I got back in the car on my outlap, I was like, holy crap, I am so lost right now. It is just through you completely off. Yeah. like. Yeah, it, it's I might as well have played with the controller. I should have played with a controller to not confuse my brain. Cause it actually yeah it 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 took away from my performance.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense. Makes it sense. is
1: too close of uh, a movement and action to start practicing the wrong way yeah so
0: but it is interesting
1: because this is so close i mean it's not far off you could take and we are taking guys from uh through through Windward racing we've been training with bryce ward with my teammate and the moradness m squad guys my esports division more of a a boys club and yeah yeah. um you were just i mean you met a bunch of them at at most yeah i did
0: these yeah. guys have been fast, helping us prepare. Guys too yeah
1: they're man nate's yeah. fast like the guys that were yeah. there they're pretty good uh mitch was good like they were all in the top top five or whatever Stu. Mm-hmm. these guys what's so cool is they're gonna have the chance at the end of the season to drive the gt4 car bryce let me know to to tell the guys because we've all been training together and the m squad has oh, been helping so us awesome. prepare we've been doing hosted yeah. races he said that um, I want to bring the guys out, the whole team, and uh, we're going to do a track day. How cool is that? How cool is that? So, I mean, it's gonna, just literally a dream come true to be able to get these guys in a real
0: race car. And they're going to have a they're blast. They're going to have a yeah. blast, and they're I think they're going to be good. I think you're right. I think, like, yeah, if they've been spending a lot of time in in racing and... They're going to have a much better head start than any any of us are getting in a car right well we
1: have two cars we have two gt4s i'm not sure logistically how it's going to work if i'm in one and they're in the other and it's a lead follow but i genuinely think that some of the guys could be pretty respectable i mean some of the other guys that are not let's say uh focused on performance they're just there for a good time and wanting to enjoy some racing i still want them to have the experience just to see what it's like because they have been helping us Preparing in the real car or in the That's yeah cool on on the sim i'm curious to car. see
0: the lap times i think they're going to get competitive with each other too uh with <laughs> the laps right <laughs> we'll see but we have a whole yeah. event
1: plan we're going to do um we're going to do some on track in the gt4 then we're going to do um some carding and it's going to yeah. be a fun time it'll be really cool That's finally really we're cool. getting all the guys together because we're from all over you know like some of the some guys are from Australia. Um, We have, well, one guy from Australia, (laughs) and then everyone else is from scattered across North America and Canada. North America and Canada are the same.
0: U.S. and Canada. It's probably rare that you're all in the same place, right, on any given time. Very rare. I
1: mean, a lot of the guys come out to the races. So we have had guys come out to Road America, to VIR, to Mosport, Sebring, Daytona. But to get everyone together in the same same spot same time driving the race car it's going to be such a unique experience i'm actually going to That's i'm going to video i'm going to capture
0: the whole thing you have so we're to. Gonna, i was going to say yeah, i got to we got to see this on yeah, youtube yeah it will be it'll be on yeah. youtube
1: yeah that'll be cool you can't not i mean come on taking sim races no, this will be like mr beast level type of video
0: no this is exactly this is actually really cool and i think people are going to love to watch it maybe that. okay i'm I mean, getting exaggerated I, here okay it's not going to be the, quite that production level but <laughs> hey Hey, you gotta set the goal high it gotta be real i wanna ask you, oh yeah, so I wanna ask you a little bit about um v r and because it's it's fresh in my head, so when I was at a s r on the weekend in Montreal, and I haven't had a lot of experience of v r headsets, and it's been a while since I've tried one, and I tried the um I think it's the varro a r pro or something like that mm-hmm. it it was pretty pretty amazing, like I mean I put that thing on and the headphones on and just blocked out everything and you like amazing and it's it's i was on daytona and i and i kind of know like breaking points and things there and it was it was just so much easier to read the distance and everything like i really felt like i was in the car but like how do you and i get i get a lot of comments like if i post a video about a monitor guide or anything or beginner it immediately uh, vr is better than triple vr is better than triple and it's i always say like what's best is what's best for you right and there's a lot of pros and cons between triple it's a it's just more comfortable to for me to just jump in and I'll have to strap a headset on but you know what's been your experience with vr and like do you think one day you'll be completely training with vr obviously not streaming on twitch because that wouldn't work well no. with vr but i started with VR. i'm curious to get i know you've mentioned yeah. that and so i'm just, i just kind of want to get your feelings on vr and what what do you think maybe needs to be tweaked still and, and is there a point where you could say like yeah this is what i'm going to use i think we're close to that point it's obviously yeah. inconvenient yeah it I think is if you can, and it's hot too yeah <laughs> if you have
1: a smaller headset that's good yeah. quality i think there is there are well maybe maybe
0: there's one there's one i've seen uh i don't know if it's the pimax or no there, i forget the of name of it but there's a small headset that uh, will was yeah will will had it on his channel
1: yeah, yeah i think that's interesting yeah, I'm not opposed to VR. I really love it. I yeah. just didn't like the inconsistency on frame rate. The fluctuation would throw me off. I got a lot quicker when I drove with monitors. My eye rating skyrocketed. When I went to uh, triple monitors, it went from like 2,800 to 5,500 really? in like three months. Yeah.
0: Well, that's been my biggest gripe with it because I'm, look, I think you're kind of a tech guy too. We're tech guys, right? We're We're nerds a little bit with this stuff. It's like, I want the, always want the best performance that i can get yeah. right and with racing with frames and that's what has held me back from a lot of vr i mean i think the varo that i was trying was like 70 80 frames at the time when i was testing it which is it's it's acceptable i think for racing but it's not quite there
1: yeah uh, the the more frame rate the more information and when you're traveling at a high mm-hmm. rate of speed if you can get if you can fit more frames and more information in a span of one meter or two meters you'll be way more precise just yeah just the way it is you can't overcome that so if you're getting like a slideshow as you're going to a break point you're you're only you're very inconsistent and you're inaccurate you might get one corner spot on but then the next time it's like you have a one in three shot of getting the right breakpoint that you want based on the information yeah. you're getting through your eyes to your brain. So you can't make that decision. So the more info you have, the better and easier it becomes. And that's what I found when I went to triples, I got immediately 144 FPS from, you know, 60. Sometimes it dropped to 40 at the most 80. Immediately improved lap time. And it felt effortless. I wasn't even yeah. trying. One thing I have to say is I felt so disconnected. When I jumped into sim racing initially, I drove on a single screen. I felt so disconnected. Like the screen was there and I was here. When I put VR on immediately, I stopped spinning. I felt yeah. like I could catch the slides, but you know, I would make mistakes that I could catch. So that was a positive. Stability went down the more that the game got developed the more the performance went down even though i upgraded the computer i just couldn't live with that poor fps performance yeah and yeah as soon as i went to triples it was so smooth it felt effortless i could hit my breakpoints. i still had this disconnect like the screen was there and i was here and there was a, a separation between you know the game and myself but at one point It got more comfortable especially as it like wrapped around me with the triple screens i've actually had Mm -hmm. these monitors for for a while these are my first monitors i got the triple monitors and they're they've been okay i think that you know you can definitely get better performing monitors now but um it definitely did the trick and they were it's cheaper than vr they're they're like 300 bucks each each piece and you can get them on sale for even cheaper
0: when you weigh the cost for sure and I mean like I don't know like I turn I'll turn off all the lights in here and my monitors sort of you know almost wrap around me it's pretty immersive yeah. like I think the the cool thing like look VR is a lot of fun I would definitely like I want to ride again I kind of want to have a headset here just to like play around with and have but it, I would say if you can only afford one or, or the other I still would lean towards triple because of the performance the comfort just the accessibility It's a to lot it. easier to just um, jump on
1: and go and that's been the big change for yeah. me going from vr it was such a hassle it took me half an hour to even get the stream going with this i can jump on and in five minutes everything's on all the yeah. software is loaded and i'm ready
0: yeah it is cool i mean to be able to look down and see you know all the different things in the car but most like you're not doing that when you're racing you're here so yeah, but <laughs> even though i you, the head movement you know is a lot more natural yeah being it able cool. to
1: actually look around the a, a pillar is a lot more natural in vr yeah. whereas on the the screens you really are fixed that's why for some cars i move my my seating position a bit more to the middle of the car because you can't yeah. see around the a pillar but in real life you can actually move your head and just a few centimeters forward or backwards is enough to get a perspective around the a
0: pillar of of, mm-hmm. of a race car it was a cool experience i i would encourage and i think you would maybe give the same advice try both right like if you can go to a place like asr which is open now if you're in that area you know you could go back to back you could go into their you know 45 inch oled triple setup and then put on a vr headset you know and and figure out what works right um so what software would you like
1: to see come uh come out like if you were not software but hardware if you were to have any new piece of hardware what do you think would benefit sim racing the most
0: i was gonna ask you this. no it's my turn to ask you questions (laughs) who's interviewing who i want to know your
1: perspective because you you've done like i I love your reviews and the way you you put everything together and you've 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 touched a lot of pieces now like you kind of i have you have some experience probably more than me i know but I, I don't i just I don't take not stuff that. and put it on <laughs> i can confidently say i'm like yep this is the best i i know it I,
0: i've thought about this a lot and i mean look i'm i would say i appreciate that i'm, I'm still relatively new in in the space and reviewing like i've not had my hands on equipments like guys that have been doing this a long time but i i look i always approach it just from who i am like i'm just you know uh, i would i'm a hobbyist sim racer but i'm a guy who's passionate about technology and i and i like to know that even if i haven't had the real experience it's cool to know that i'm i'm touching something that's close to the real experience right so when you say things like hey this is real i pay attention to that because yeah. i want that because to me it's exciting it's fun right um but yeah i think like i think that honestly the active pedals was something that was missing like I don't know if you agree with this, but I noticed earlier on in sim racing and I was giving this advice is that upgrade your pedals first, right? I think pedals actually made it started making such a big difference when I upgraded to like better pedals. I think I was on like the Fnatic V3 and then I moved to the sprints and now I'm like, I keep going back and forth. Like I have a pair of Invictus, but I'm running the, the ultimates now because I was using the ultimates at ASR that weekend. And I was like, I never actually had a chance to try them. So I said, I just bought a set so that I could compare and I'll decide if I'm going to sell the Invictus or not. But I think the active pedals being able, we've always been able to change things on the uh, steering wheel or the wheelbase, or I should say, but we've never really been able to dial in our pedals like we could now with the active pedal. And I think what I'm more excited to see is that technology get into a more mid-range price let's say right like the active pedals look if you can afford it like get it i'm i'm have without uh, no doubt that it's probably great not even trying them but i think when we get take that technology and and we get into maybe a a different cross other pedals that would be interesting um but yeah i I mean i'd like to see from a software perspective it just it, it easier to get up and going i also think from a hardware perspective a turnkey setup would be great for beginners i get asked a lot of times it can be very overwhelming like for me i actually enjoyed the process of building this out and selecting the equipment yeah. and figuring out what makes sense but i think for most people you know just can i just buy a turnkey setup now you can call advanced sim racing and they'll come build it for you but it would be cool to buy everything in a box yeah, right is, maybe is a, that even you know maybe a manufacturer could do that i
1: don't know yeah having a a sim racing solution that's good quality good enough yes that all the components are there you can just say yes this is what i want and it's it's produced enough where the cost can go down Mm because i think that's the big problem is maybe there's not enough quantity of for the production it's so scattered all over like if you were to produce something where it was like the kit you know one one kit that you could just buy i mean there are kits like that, but there's still so much setup involved. Like that that's a that's a huge issue for sure, but just the cost of entry is yeah. actually pretty difficult as well. The cost yeah. of entry. Well, is we're starting
0: difficult. we're starting to see that change a little bit. There are some other manufacturers now. Um, Moza being one of them that is like they're just pumping out really great options. Um, you know, like I tried their r12 wheelbase which i have here and it's fantastic for for you know i'm for me personally i'm not going to trade my semi 2 pro yeah. any day but i i'm not lying the experience on that r12 was so good like i would for most people if they don't have that the budget beyond that i think you could be happy with something like that yeah um but um yeah no it's it's i, I i'm curious to know what you think too like You know, do you think there's something um, missing still from a software, from a hardware perspective that would complete that realism for you and the training side of it? Um, Yeah, I think that what's missing,
1: my my dream piece of hardware would be like a 75-inch screen, full wraparound, one panel. Yeah, okay. Or whatever the equivalent of maybe like a little bit wider than a, a 32 triple 32 i'd have to yeah. check what the the complete diagonal would be
0: what did you think of those 45 inch oleds that asr They're, brought those are like those are on my bucket list yes now. Those are and really
1: no nice. the problem with those is the biggest issue with sim racing is not horizontal real estate it's mm-hmm. vertical
0: Oh, yeah, like the um you miss a lot yes i I would your, prefer
1: yeah. I think to make it more immersive to be able to have big enough screens to be able to put behind your wheelbase so it's like the wheel shaft is coming out of the screen,
0: yes, and please, just, that yeah. would give
1: you the correct proportions from front windshield if you put your arms out to where mm-hmm. the shaft comes out, and then you can have a screen um maybe like right in your line of sight and enough of the the screen going below the wheelbase in order to get the cockpit that would make it feel so much yeah. more immersive because you don't need the width the width is fine it already goes to as far as you need to look oh yeah
0: you get your per, like you get your you know when you look with to the 32s side you
1: get more or less what whatever you need maybe a little bit more would be nice perhaps if it can go just a little bit behind you that would be kind of cool but in order to get that realism having the the height so not a 21 by 9 ratio a 16 by 9 ratio monitor that was a thousand r curve big enough to go all the way around you that would be incredible that would be pretty pretty awesome
0: yeah I think I, that's one thing I've struggled with like because so the I, the way I run my FOV and iRacing it's it's similar to your kind of your setup like where I sit and I have the shaft that extends out is I, I end up having to use a, a DDU because I don't have a screen on the wheels because I've I've lost the DDU because where I feel like it should be set is like the dash is up here yeah. but I'm I'm missing all the rest of the car right um so it is yeah that's a better display solution maybe is what you're getting at. That makes sense. I mean, that's yeah. only because I think I
1: have everything else. <laughs> the only thing missing <laughs> no, is that. No, I mean,
0: look, yeah, at the, the setup that you're running, I mean, that is fantastic setup. Uh, you know, I think, you know, and, and we're, we live in really cool time. If you're into sim racing, there's cool stuff coming out like a lot now, a lot more frequently. I'm finding there's, there's more, there are more options at different uh, price points now. There wasn't as much before when i was kind of an outsider looking in on sim racing um so yeah it's we live in good cool times if you're if you're into this so it's definitely um really interesting so one last question and then i kind of want to shift to i want to talk about radness a little bit we're going to move away from sim racing but i want to ask you new sim racer um what do you advise on upgrading first I, I i go through this question a lot i've actually helped people i've jumped on discord and tried to help people with just from mistakes and things i've made along the way i personally think invest in a good cockpit because even with inexpensive equipment if you have a solid platform you're going to feel more of the equipment you're going to feel more and then pedals but do you agree or or would you yes. do it differently for do sure it differently
1: Everyone says upgrade your pedals first, but if you have a cardboard box as a mount, yeah. it doesn't matter if you have the best pedals. It's like driving a Ferrari on snow tires. So you need, you need the best platform possible, one that you can grow with. And you know buy once, cry once, I think is, is important on chassis. Everything else is modular. So yeah. when you have a good base, it's it's stable, you'll you'll take your G twenty nine pedal set and it will go from it w- felt like terrible to oh, okay, I can actually modulate the brake now because you're in the correct seating position, you're not at a desk. It's way harder to push down at the pedal rather than towards the pedal. So if you have a correct cockpit and you're sitting in the right position, even if you have entry level pedal and, and and uh wheel, it's still going to be manageable so yeah i'm definitely with you on that cockpit yeah then pedals well cockpit and seat go together having a comfortable seat so underrated
0: yeah no that actually is i noticed i had a lot of problems with um the track racer seat i had in the beginning it was not comfortable yeah the seat is a huge thing like i'm now at the point where i'm thinking um you know just in in looking at my seating options right to see what I the, the SR seat is actually a lot more comfortable but I do still add like a cushion in lumbar but some people might just look it, we're all different shaped and and shape bodies and and comfort levels and injuries in the past so you kind of have to do I would you're like you said I would focus on the comfort first yeah cuz right? you're sitting Cause in there it's for gonna, such a long time it's going to ruin your even in a short period of time it could ruin your experience not being comfortable yeah right um but yeah, I remember I did it wrong a little bit in the beginning. I had like really high torque wheelbase, fanatic DD1. Um, I had the Invicta pedals on it on this track racer cockpit that it, there was some flex already. Like, because, you know, so I, I should have done it the other yeah. way around. It's got the right foundation.
1: It's so. underrated. People don't really understand. They look at extruded aluminum. And just because yeah. it looks like metal doesn't mean that they're all the same. Like it's yeah
0: do the do the research on, yeah, yeah
1: there's there there's a huge discrepancy in the quality of these pieces like of these extruded aluminum chassis i couldn't believe going from my last chassis to the asr6 and then you know asr6 to the pro there's not much of a difference in terms of like if you're just statically driving you're not really going to feel the difference Ergonomically, yeah. it's a lot easier because you have the adjustability with the pedals and the wheel deck, and plus aesthetically, it looks a little bit nicer and cleaner as the flat yeah. sides. But performance wise, I didn't notice a huge difference. But from my original extruded aluminum chassis to the ASR one, I couldn't yeah. believe I looked at the metal beams from the with the cap off and I looked at the thickness of the, the profile, and I'm like, oh. There's actually a massive difference. Like this is so thin. The the metal is very thin. Like the cross beams are very thin. And I noticed that there was some flex side to side on my wheel motor. Like when I would shake, it I could feel it just wiggling. When I used the ASR six with D box and everything, it felt so rigid. I'm like, holy crap. Like my old chassis would never withstand motion. It would shake, it would shake apart. Oh yeah, so and that, that was
0: part of the reason I upgraded it too, because I know D box is in my future. I I've tried it enough times now that I know I have <laughs> to have it. it. It's just a matter of fitting it into the the timeline and the plan and budget. But I went from the track resort TR8, which was my first cockpit, which is honestly is pretty decent. At, like if you want to just start out, but like from that to the SR Pro, I was like, holy shit! Yeah. Like I've really been missing out on something here because just everything. I don't know It just felt different felt better um yeah it feels more sturdy about, yeah I, absolutely so we could talk more sim racing for hours <laughs> and hours again but you know we'll have to do a part two podcast maybe one day yeah um but I want to ask you about Miradness because this is like you know another big part of your life and what, what you guys do and I'm, I'm wearing my Miradness shirt <laughs> yeah, I noticed that <laughs> so, as it peeked around the mic I had to yeah it, it's blocked by the mic yeah, you so know, in, noticed... it needs to be higher up the logo look at um so look for those who <laughs> don't know uh or own 20 pairs of socks like me um who who's what is Moradness in in your words so Moradness is here
1: here's what it is Moradness is a lifestyle and performance clothing company that's motivated yeah. by motorsport yeah so everything we produce is in some way or another linked with motorsport it's supposed to either assist you in whether you're training sim racing going to the track wearing the clothes of the track or you want to wear it outside of the track and that's where it kind of the idea stemmed from creating clothing initially hats shirts hoodies whatever it was yeah that you could wear at the racetrack it looked racing <laughs> looked like racing yeah. and you could also yeah, wear it does. outside and people wouldn't be like why is that guy wearing a Corvette shirt like
0: no I mean it's I, I gotta be honest like so the socks I was skeptical but then I bought a couple I bought three pairs and Daniel's not t- paying me to say this so this is my honest opinion I swear I bought three pairs and they're they're not only are they great for sim racing and I was a shoe guy for sim racing but I was actually starting to have issues with some of the shoes that I was using. And I said, okay, let me, let me be like Daniel. I'm going to try racing with socks, super comfortable. And these socks are not just like they're, I thought they would just be like normal socks. No, they're like, just as sock socks. Yeah. They're super comfortable. I wear them all. Well, I, I'm not lying. I'm wearing them right They're compression socks
1: and perforated. Yeah.
0: They're, they're performance sports socks with gel pad, yeah.
1: like little rubber silicone pads or whatever on the bottom yeah. that are helping with cushioning on the brake pedal and giving you grip so it's kind of like a driving shoe hybrid sock
0: yeah but there's enough depending on your pedal fl- uh face there's enough like it's it's enough grip but not too much grip i yeah. found um so you can still modulate your throttle and also another tip if you live in a house with slippery hardwood flooring i no longer slip on the stairs mm. anymore so. i actually wear my sim socks every day even if i'm not on i sim. wear them all the time. i'm i'm not lying daniel i wear your socks all the time now and then i think i went from uh i got the, i have them now i got the lime green i can't fit, fit my leg up i can't stretch <laughs> but um they. i bought like 20 pairs after i bought the three pairs yeah because so, i wanted every color it's something you don't They're... realize like
1: everyone's like oh, no it's like a what is it a trampoline sock i'm like
0: no no, I like I, I would like to think that you don't put out anything out there that you would wear your that you wouldn't wear yourself. Is that true? Absolutely. And
1: I I think yeah. you
0: can tell that I like good quality I can tell. stuff. Are you so you mentioned kind of fashion being something you wanted to get into? Is that is that kind of what led to this a little absolutely. bit? Absolutely. I'm um, a believer in buying not a lot of stuff,
1: but good quality yeah. stuff that's going to last you. I'm not uh, cheap in the sense where I'm like, oh, well, this t-shirt's $3. Uh, I'll, I'll buy 50 of them. No. Yeah. This t-shirt's 20 bucks. I'm going to buy three. You know, yeah. they're going to last me longer than the 50. I'm going to wash them one time and they're going to be ruined.
0: So... You know what I've been realizing as I get older is upgrading my basics. Socks, t-shirts, underwear, yeah. things like that. Got to be comfortable. Got to be nice. Absolutely. Because I don't care so much about being... The coolest though, my Moradness stuff does look cool. Yeah, um, but it's so comfortable.
1: Great thing about. So how
0: did how did it all start though?
1: Yeah, it started. Well, just to round out your point, I yeah. love wearing the Moradness stuff. It's actually helped me because yeah. I don't buy as much other things. Yeah, <laughs> I just wear Moradness all the time. <laughs> Shorts, socks, shirt, like literally everything yeah, I'm wearing is Moradness. Um, but well,
0: yeah. it all started. How cool is it? It's cool to have your own brand for sure. For
1: it's sure, so cool. And it's nice stuff. If, if it's I don't stuff. wear it.
0: Well, I want to. We, we're
1: making stuff that's high quality to the point where I want to yeah. wear it over anything else, and I love it. It's the perfect fit, so comfortable. And I'm yeah. not just saying that because I own the stuff. I actually no, and I'm, I'm not so just saying critical on this. These things where yeah. I'm more like a consumer myself, but semi owning the company. Like I, I'm consuming my own product. I'm wearing my own product. I need it to be good. If it's not good, yeah. I don't want to wear it. And there are, were things that we produced where I wasn't happy with the quality. I'm like, there's no chance we're putting this out. Um, Even though Jess is like, well, you know, we produced it, we spent all the... I'm like, I don't care. We we should lose money on this because we're not putting this out for people. Yeah. Because I don't yeah. like it. And it's yeah. like, we just donate it. And we'll donate it to less fortunate people. And um, That's good. And that's just the way it is. Like I don't want to put out stuff that I don't like. But going mm. back to your your question how it all started was um I'm going to try to make this quick because it it's it could be a quick story but I usually make it long. Daytona yeah. 24 hour, you know the story, out of racing, back in racing. We won the Rolex yeah. 24 in our first shot. And I'm not Lewis Hamilton or anything by any means. I'm not uh I don't think of myself as like you know, famous or things like that. Even though people want to say, "Oh, you're famous," I do not at all ever think that. I just think yep. I'm a regular guy,
0: and I am. Just we're the same. Yeah, we're all human. But I, I think people get excited about what you're doing, and they want to be um a part of it and excited. Yeah. And and I think you're great at sharing the experiences, which is cool. And you know, there's there's a reason why you're you do Twitch because I think you enjoy um building the community. It's it's evident when you're when you're streaming so it's the fame is okay yeah famous but i think it's being known as um someone who's passionate about both racing and sim racing and people want to people gravitate towards that absolutely
1: i dedicate my time towards sharing my experience with other people and why Mm -hmm. i bring that up and why i mention that is because it could be perceived that starting a company called moradness that's revolving kind of like around your name and your your you it's like who are you to make this yeah and those were some of the questions we faced early on so after winning the rolex yeah. 24 with my team we had randomly like we made 10 hats um i had 10 hats made through uh adidas i think and um we we ended up just like selling them because people were asking after we won that race and you know they started to get to know um uh, who i was or whatever they they like that the they're like oh cool you won the yeah. race i like that hat can i buy that hat and jess yeah. my wife she goes hmm people want your hat all right so she made a shopify website within no joke within like a few minutes sold 10 hats all of them including hmm. the one i was wearing i'm like huh. That's my hat. So <laughs> after that, she's like, "Okay, let's make a thousand hats." So we f- we yeah. through one of my very good friends. We found um through his family, they they are involved in manufacturing, and uh, we produced a thousand hats with different designs, and we got creative with it, and we yeah. sold a thousand hats, and we we started out with the hats, and we did a few thousand hats, then we got into T-shirts, but like buying a shell, like a generic shell. From some random companies that do like they just sell the plain shirts, and then we'd like embroider or print our logo on it. And I was like, "Man, okay, this is fine. It's whatever, but it's kind of shitty. Like,
0: I don't want that." (laughs) So we started looking into. That's not how you are. You you like to do things
1: exactly. So I was like, "Okay, that's that's kind of a weak attempt at getting into clothing." Because at one point, it's like, "How many more hats can we produce?" So then we started sourcing our own. Shirts. We picked the fabric, the the actual, the fitment. So we had to create yeah. patterns and size guides, and from scratch, it was moradness fabric, moradness fit and finish on everything. That's then cool. it started getting real. Like then it was,
0: it was. Yeah, cool. I was gonna. Add, you kind of led me. Like when did it start occurring to you? Like okay, this is like. So it's going to yeah. be a really You know when it got real now.
1: was when I raced at Mosport in 2017. Yeah. Before we even made t-shirts, 2017 when after we won Daytona, I raced at uh, Mosport and I saw about 4 or 500 people wearing our Moradness hats in the paddock and along the fence oh. line when I was driving. I'm like, "Hmm, yeah. That is pretty wild." not gonna lie that's cool so that's really cool that's when we decided to take it to the next level and make shirts i wasn't happy with those then we made better shirts i'm like okay we actually have a brand here not just merch Mm -hmm. the plan was never to create merch it was to create a brand and a community and it's been driven by community the whole time and it still is today yeah very much connected to it
0: Yeah. No, I got to be honest. I, 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 I'm I'm not afraid to say it, but I I thought, okay, this is kind of just merch. Right. And then I started buying some of the things and then I was like, no, this is like really, this is a brand. These are cool clothes. Like the performance jersey, like how it feels like the socks, the, the comfort that you get, like there's value in what you're getting. And and I'm saying that as a regular consumer. And it doesn't scream.
1: I don't want it to say Daniel Morad on it. It's not Daniel Morad Morad stuff. It is Moradness. It's completely separate. And it's been hard to to separate that. And it is starting to happen where people yeah. buy the Moradness product and they don't even know who I am, which yeah. is very cool in a way because I don't want people to buy just because they want to buy some sort of merch from me because it's not merch. So then, yeah, the, the gloves really took us to another level on that.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you about the gloves. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think for like, even like, it's uh, for for me. I think it's start, it's starting to become sort of like a sim racing community sign. Like, like I think if I if I'm somewhere and I see someone else wearing the morad, it's kind of like you think like. Hey, you might be in a sim racing too because you know who Daniel Morad is or you know you're into racing so it's kind of like signifies this sort of community right even with the gloves like you see all the gloves pop up in different YouTube videos and things and you're like okay this guy knows you know for
1: sure <laughs> it's cool to see that too when I when I go on yeah. YouTube and I'm browsing and I see some sim racing content and I open it up and I see a person wearing Moradness gloves it's the coolest thing ever yeah. I'm like man that's awesome I have no idea yeah, who this awesome. is but like they're yeah. using our product and it's really, really nice to to see that actually. Um, but
0: what was the inspiration for the gloves? So how did
1: it? Uh... Yeah, that started during COVID. So yeah. I was using my racing gloves and I noticed that they kept ripping like so wow. frequently and it was falling apart. It was all fraying and disintegrating. I'm like, wow, I, I can't believe my gloves. These are like $400 gloves. Nomex gloves and they're falling apart so i said Hmm. why would i wear somebody else's gloves i should we should make our own so i told jess i'm like do you think we can make our own gloves she's like let me let me see what we can do so through our manufacturers we you know it's a small industry everybody knows everybody once you're in it you start asking a few questions and next thing you know you start producing like we made our gloves and You know, we got a few samples of of different products. I'm like, okay, this is okay. We can work with this. This is no good. And then we just produced the first version. And there were like seven versions before we released the very, very first one. Before I was like, okay, this is this is good. Mm -hmm. Then I'm like, okay, maybe we need to change the fit after using it for more time. And one of the key principles why I wanted to make the glove was number one, the durability had to be, it had to be good for the most okay there's always gonna be a few here and there out of a thousand that might have a thread that could break it's totally yeah. normal at the end of the day it's hand stitched right and to make the glove comfortable to reduce the amount of overhang of the outside seam you need to put that thread so close to the edge and if one of the threads misses to uh, connect the two pieces of fabric together the the top of the the hand and the bottom if it misses by a little bit and it's right on the edge and comes off then it's very easy when you put the glove on to have an opening yeah but thankfully the quality control has been i would say very good you know we have like less than one percent i think or maybe about one percent uh defect rate which is very good for uh,
0: no that is very good and i'm sure you deal with it i mean like if anything has defect, its problems right? any any product has its defect geez like there's no company out there that can say they ship a perfect product 100 percent of the time no, and, and, and that's why we put history. the string on
1: right we, we have these strings yeah. that say you know before you use the gloves inspect the product because of course these little things can happen but you know people don't like reading including myself sometimes i don't read things yeah but yeah we try to be have we try to have the highest quality stuff so building a glove that was durable that could last a long time and i know guys that have been using the same pair of gloves for 2 years i don't yeah. know any racing drivers that could use a pair of gloves for more than 3 months i know my gloves yeah. i have to cycle them out every few months and i'm driving Makes- not nearly as much as on the sim
0: one of so, the things that stood out to me too is like the comfort like inside the glove like i've tried other gloves that were like marketed towards sim racing specifically and you feel the stitching and stuff inside like the problem things you put on it's, is just the inside yeah, seam is so uncomfortable that's where i was kind of sold on them when i ordered my first pair because i was like okay is this worth yeah. it so mm-hmm. i said you know through all my
1: experience using three four five hundred dollar pairs of gloves and mm. and right now i'm currently using gloves that the formula one guys use like the puma stuff through through amg yeah. is the same exact stuff that lewis hamilton or george russell would wear so it's the same same gear or like any any puma stuff you see in f1 is the same grade that we have and it's very good stuff but it's very expensive yeah um yeah so the goal was how can we create top level gear at an affordable price that's very durable that will last you We want you to, we don't want you to say, I need another pair because these are worn out. We want you to get another pair because, oh, that next
0: design is so cool. I need that. Uh, This is what you've done now because I own five, I think, (laughs) four or five. And so here's what, what, what I think is cool. And it's kind of become, I think the gloves, and this is a trend that I'm seeing now, and I'm seeing this, is that it's sort of become like sim racing fashion, right? Like You know, I like, look, we change all of us, like sneakerheads, change their sneakers to match their outfit. Yeah. Like, you know, look, I might be the exception, but you'll get it. And maybe people will laugh at me and I don't care because I know there's others out there, but like I'll now match, you know, my socks or the gloves and the shirt. Like, why not? Right. I absolutely do the same thing. I know you do. We've seen it. But yeah. I like I but it's cool that it's fun though. Like I think that yes, there's no logical reason that you need more than one. Like you said the gloves are super hard. I it's funny though. I still use like the dark side ones. Those are kind of like my go-to and then I have a few other designs that I like to switch up and what for you're fun, saying what is you I'm need doing, to make more black with red accents. That's what I'm picking. Yeah, up it's very on brand for me. It's very on brand for it me. Is. I'm I can't I I missed the plaid. You're sold out right now on the size. So <laughs> if you come across some plaid, let me know. But the yeah, like I kind of like buying the different ones, and then when I film a different review, I'll throw on the limited edition ones I have. Look, you know what? It's this is about having fun, and I and I like what you guys are doing with the the designs. It's I think now people are actually getting excited. Like, what are the next designs? Like, just throw it up a tease of one of the designs on the stream, and I was like, oh, I need those. Those are cool. Yeah. So I think it's really cool what you guys are doing, and and it's it's nice to hear that. Um, how much you're paying attention to the quality. And I know this may sound like a commercial right now, but it's not, I'm just, yeah. we're talking about this stuff and I, it, it's cool. I think you guys should check it out if you haven't. I mean, um, it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where it started. I started yeah. sim racing so much and I'm like, why am I wearing? And then when we started streaming, I'm like, what? this is something that we could produce and people would want this. It's missing in the market. There yeah. aren't any sim racing gloves. Or sim racing, carding gloves, but they're yeah that I was aware of that had the culture right. We were really focused on the culture and community. Everyone's more of a brand, like we're here and you're there, but we're trying to be different. It's like we're all here in the same room. That's that's the goal with it. Like we're all connected
0: doing It's kind of like, it's kind of how we met a little bit. Like I think where you came to know, like I think I did like a review of your gloves earlier on because nobody was sending me stuff. So I was just reviewing everything I bought and like, Oh, I have these Maradonis gloves. I'm going to review those, yeah. you know? And then, and then you reached out to me and was like, Hey, we saw the review. That's cool. So, you know, th- these things kind of bring people with common interests together. And it's, it's nice that, um, you're not only building a brand, but you're, I think you're, you're building a community, which is, which is really neat to see. Um, So, yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, I I know we could talk for longer and I have so many (laughs) more questions, but I feel like I've already took, we've already gone pretty long. I think you'll be the first race car driver and longest podcast on the same since then. So you've you've, you've got two achievements. I think it's interesting. And, you know, I I know you have only a few free weekends, so I appreciate you doing this. I I enjoyed the chat and I think, you know, uh, our viewers, uh, you know, I'm sure we have some shared viewers will will enjoy this sort of chat and just kind of um listening to us ramble on about sim racing. There's not a lot of podcasts about sim racing, so that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this and it's so cool to get your insights from your professional racing career and how that relates back to to sim racing. So, um I'm going to have descriptions in the link if you if you haven't checked out Daniel's stream on Twitch, do that first. Check out his YouTube channel, check out Muradness. I'll have all the links in the description below. Is there anything that you want to shout out, Dan, like that's coming up or And this has um, been a,
1: a more adness uh podcast.
0: Yes, it has. <laughs> you, you completely took it over. A but... lot of
1: ad. <laughs> no, it's it, everything, man. It's been uh it's been cool. I love talking about racing, sim racing. It's yeah. my passion. I think it it's conveyed in the way we had the conversation, just talking about it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean when it comes to the community and being engaged and stuff, like don't be afraid to reach out if you have any questions. I try to answer everything, mm-hmm. especially on the live streams. It's probably the easiest time because you, you're like I'm there and I'm looking actively at messages. Yeah. When I'm off stream, it's so hard because I think we already spoke about it. So many things on the go. I try to keep up with everything. I even dedicate time towards answering comments on YouTube. Like I spend 30 minutes a day just yeah, whatever the most recent ones are. I'm just like, I fire through as many as I can and try to answer everybody. But when there's a thousand comments on every video, it's you can't. You yeah. can't physically get to every single one. It no. will consume your entire day. So hopefully that's appreciated. But I mean, I try my best to stay in touch with everyone. Yeah. Live stream is the best. And if you want a sim, you know, pair of sim racing gloves moradness.com is your place
0: yeah check them out definitely recommend it and uh thanks again daniel for doing this it's been a blast and uh i'm sure we'll talk soon and and also um good luck with the upcoming races i think next is what Indianapolis.
1: indianapolis and if anyone's there if anybody is at the the next few races by all means like come by the trailer you don't even need to schedule anything don't even bother about messaging me literally ask one of the crew guys say hey is daniel around They already know. They get that question. That's like the most frequently asked question. Um, But I'm totally (laughs) cool. I tell everyone, just come by the trailer, ask for me. I'll come out if I'm not already in the back of the trailer.
0: Very cool. Yeah, well, we'll we'll be cheering cheering you on here and watching your races. So good luck with everything and we'll talk soon.